Welcome, Connell. Hey, Hugh. Welcome, listeners. Welcome, listeners and producer girl. Hugh, why are we here? We're here to inspire and educate the business owner. How are we going to do that today? We're going to do that today by talking about common hiring mistakes and how to not hire a drug dealer. Also, <laughs> I'm going to share some of my stories about my mistakes. We're also going to have another segment of Bads's Box. And at the end, we're going to close the loop. And in the core theme of the show, we'll unpack six learnings or six things that you need to get your people right. Absolutely. You'll tell your story about allegedly... An alleged drug dealer we hired. <laughs> okay. So, onto the show. Let's get into the rapid fire review. You're listening to Two Paths, One Journey. Rapid fire, Connell. 30 seconds. Tell me what you're thinking. You're not timing me, so I'm glad about that. <laughs> I got two learnings from last week. The first was don't wear white which I've listened to, learned from. And my second was that the goals that I set for my company and prep for the last episode weren't useful because I didn't have them in a place where I could see them. I've changed that now, already seeing the benefit. What about you? Three points, a little bit of gratitude. So thank you to yourself. Thank you to Gil. The show went live this week. So that's really appreciated. Thank you to all the people that have reached out and commented and asked. So that's been really helpful. Second point, show five. So I think we've got 45 to go till we get okay. <laughs> yeah. and, and back to the mindset episode, enjoy the climb. And third, last but not least, self-imposed joke ban. Yeah. No, no more. That's on the uh, old rules list. It's on the list. Okay, that's a promise. Let's get into the show, mate. Awesome, let's do it. You're listening to Two Paths, One Journey with Hugh Reardon and Connell Faulkner. Hugh, today we're talking about hiring. Hiring the right people, making sure that they're aligned with your business. I know you've got a bit to say in this realm. So, <laughs> what are some of your learnings and experiences? Yep. Learning is a kind way to say it. We're going to talk about some of the mistakes. So, I thought off with a top five, probably top number one hiring mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, it goes back a little while. It started when I knew there was a problem. There was, there was two guys, that, they ended up in a fist fight of punching on on the factory floor. This is in my old business. This is quite some time ago. And, and that never happened. Like, we, we grew pretty quickly. We worked pretty hard. It got tense, but never fights. Okay. So that was the first thing. And then a few hours later, somebody else lost their cool and uh, smashed a machine. It was $11,000 screen on a $600,000 machine. So two people punching on and then someone else, a third party, now breaks a machine. Yeah. This is like in the space of two hours. And was that intentional? Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Like, I think remembering, you know, they just got frustrated and it was a touch screen. They just- ended up just pushing it too hard and, and, uh, and breaking the yeah. touch screen. Yeah, yeah, so they didn't actually punch the hand through the screen, but yeah. they, they just lost their cool and hit the screen really hard and it smashed it. Yeah, Sheen right. out of action. Yeah, okay. So uh, we had two of them, no machine, no orders, no no orders, no sales. So it was pretty pretty big deal, cut our capacity in half. Yeah. And just nine weeks earlier, we'd hired a new manager for that facility. Yeah. So yeah. everything sort of had stemmed back to that hire and it got out of control really quick. Mm. Paid a recruiter 25, 30 grand for them. So, so there was big yeah, salary, you know, yeah, yeah. big, big salary. Cause, and as I said, we went from things not, you know, trying to hire, bring on this new person yeah. to improve the business and it just going downhill. I was new to ag coming in to the business that you were running at the time. And it's one in the same business. So the company that I came into is the same that you're yeah, talking and that's about where we in met, the story. You know, yes. before, before we both diverged in yeah. different parts. But yeah. <laughs> that's it. So for those of us not too familiar with ag, is that common? Is it common to kind of get two guys going up against each other in fisticuffs? Or? Oh, no. Well, I think it comes back to culture. And, you know, yeah. like we just had zero, as I, I said to you privately, like mm. 
you know, zero tolerance on things around safety, on that sort of thing. Yeah. So that was just some of the behaviors had left slip, you know, I also mentioned that that was one of where we got wrong. You know, we weren't clear on the values and all of those things. So that, that, this is what we're going to unpack in the show about these hiring mistakes and, and other things that we've learned yeah. and we were entering a new space. So the business had grown and we were, you know, had gone from hiring people that were on the tools to managers to managers of managers. Mm. And this is this is where the problem started for us is that we were hiring a manager of managers. Yeah. First time that we'd done it. You don't know what you don't know. So yeah. Got in recruiters, buying their expertise. And it it was we had a series of these fails. Yeah. So <laughs> that must have left a pretty sour taste in your mouth. Twenty five grand for someone that you don't think and I'm putting words in your mouth, but you clearly don't think they are controlling the situation oh, very well. Again, as as a director of the business, you've got to take responsibility yeah. and I'm not shying away from mm. that. And that's why, that's the, the core of this episode is to teach some of my learning so other people don't make the same mistake. And, and it's your field of expertise, so it should be a really good show. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Don't jinx yeah. it. <laughs> but it was worse than that. Like we spent 114 grand yeah. in about 14 months on recruiters for crappy results. Yeah, right. And I'll let them all go like- because these are real people and real result and real yeah. outcomes. And some of them were great people, wrong for the business. Mm. Some of them were wrong people, wrong for the business. It's a whole comedy of errors. <laughs> that summarizes it. Great. Good people, wrong for the business. And we're going to be talking about that today, how you determine, you know, who is right for your business and what to look out for when you are hiring for your business. So that's, yeah, the perfect way to put it. I want to challenge you're thinking though, and this is going back a couple episodes, I think back yeah. to our first. So when we're talking about purpose yeah. and one, and it, it's just in our personal conversations yeah. as well, you'll always say people start businesses to make a buck. Yeah. But do you truly believe that? I think it depends where you, where you are yeah. in your journey as an individual, your journey as your career, like me in, in my fourth business, purpose driven business, me at your age, just starting out. Yeah. It was just trying to bring it all together. Okay. I, I think it's completely okay. different, but it's- not central to the show. So let's get into, yep. let's get into the show. Absolutely. Let's do it. So after this disaster, there was about six things that I identified that we could have done better. They're not all my ideas and I'm not claiming credit for them, but I'll speak in the first person. So, but it's just things that I noticed at work, other books that I've read. And the first thing that I was going to talk about was step one, defining the environment. This is something that was unique. So my background prior to working with you was in HR and then operational support in recruiting companies. And I can recall in my own interview, you actually called this out to me. But I guess first, expand upon what defining the environment is. There's a little meme that I like with uh, there's two young fish swimming in the water and the older fish um, swims by and goes, how's the water boys? And they look at each other and goes, what's water? You know, people don't really take note of the type of businesses that they're working into. And so the way that I like to define the environment in the in the employee or employer sense is size, industry, and ownership. Hmm. So I think that that intersection of those three environments yeah. gives you the, the fishbowl that you're used to swimming in. Let's just break down the first two. Industry self-explanatory. I don't think we need to address it. But so business size, are you talking purely the amount of employees, the amount of employees in that business? Yeah, yeah, not revenue based. Yep. Employee numbers. Okay. So I'd argue like a, a business, and I've got some working titles, you know, call it a micro business, uh, less five or one to five employees, small, six to 10, small to medium, 11 to 50, medium business, 51 to 200, 
medium to large, 200 to 1,000, a large enterprise, 1,000 plus. They're just working titles that I've created. Yeah. You know, they, they, there's no science behind them. Yeah, so yeah. if you've spent a lot of career working in a large enterprise and you go back to a you know, smaller micro business, which is one to 10 people, it's completely different. It's funny. So I'll, I'll expand upon what I said in relation to my interview with you. So when I interviewed to join your company in the HR capacity, it was with all directors at the time and a couple other members of staff as well. And you actually called out the fact that I was working for a multinational at the time. So I had a lot of support around me. I had a very big team. But stepping into a business of your size where it was a bit smaller, a bit more compact and a very straight vertical reporting line, you know, where realistically I was only a few rungs away from the directors themselves, you thought I might not fit in that sense. At least that's the sense that I got. Do you remember that? Yeah. I don't remember the, the context, but I remember thinking it post the interview. And the other thing too with a, with a younger graduate is that they're not immersed in the in the water in the sense that you hadn't been indoctrinated into a thousand person employee you know you had only had a little bit of experience yet if you were there for 25 or 30 years it would have been a no because you just would have struggled yeah um, okay i've got um, one word that hopefully summarizes it for our listeners it's birthday cake <laughs> that's two words first oh, of all okay. <laughs> <laughs> but okay go on okay so think of birthday cake if you work in a team of five people Everybody gets a birthday cake on their birthday. Like usually, like if it's a small team, someone remembers the birthday, they get it. They get birthday cake. Mm -hmm. What if it's a team of a thousand? Does everybody stop and celebrate that birthday? So it's just those things and nuances in culture that you're just not used to and you don't know what it's like in a five-person organization if you've never worked in one. And the same thing, you don't know what it's like if it's a thousand person. Give us an example of what you would ask to determine whether the person that you're interviewing fits your environment? What would you actually kind of question them on? Well, it's the three intersecting things. It's the size, yeah. it's the ownership in the industry. Yeah. Well, just how big was the company you work for? Yeah. How many managers did you report to? Yeah. What was the size of the team? Yes. Good. Just ask the question. Yeah. You don't assume, you just ask the question, you Google their their list, you you work out how long they spent there because the people build a career in different organizations. I think so a couple points there that are interesting and I'm really glad that you said how big was the team because I think that that's right. It's too broad just to go how big is the business because that doesn't really give you clarity. You know, it could be a thousand person business, but they could be a team of themselves. But if it's a thousand person business and they're managing a team of 20 people under them, their responsibility is obviously delegated that it dilutes the actual amount of work that they're doing. So, so that's exactly kind of the point I was getting at is you need to get granular with it. It's not just how big was the business, it's how big was the business, how many people above you, how many people below you, how many people on your level. Well, I think that also segues ne next to the next thing and, and we'll keep pushing along because we're point two of six points, you know, <laughs> one point two. So there's a lot to cover. So ownership is, is the next thing. And I'll talk ownership like government, corporate, privately owned. And if you're in a corporate, there's a different feel where before working in a privately owned business where the owner's likely to walk into your office of a smaller team and say, hey, Connor, what are you doing today? Whereas a big corporate, you mightn't see the CEO of a thousand people. So you start to see how these intersecting things start to determine the type of environment that you're used to. Mm. And then we'll quickly talk about industry, which is the third factor, which you said is pretty familiar. Mm. And I think industry gets discovered a bit more readily 
in the interview process because quite often there's specific industry terminology and things that they need to know. So the overlap between the job role and the industry sometimes can be, but not always. You can be an admin person. And are there complementary in industries in your opinion? Like, uh, I guess what I'm trying to understand is how how readily would you discount someone if they weren't in your exact industry, but they're in something similar? Well, that's that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. So if our listeners have got that visualization of that typical Venn diagram, which is just three concentric circles and where they overlap in that center is where the best result's going to be because you never know. So the idea of what I've put together and asked and thought and written about is getting that close to the center. So if they're not in the right industry and is it, if it's an adjacent industry, for example, construction and mining a similarity. But if they came from from healthcare, then potentially it's too far away. You know, it's it's on that outer limb of that Venn diagram or that circle of industry. Yeah. So it's going to try and bring it all together and talk about some examples, yep. you know, that that I've seen. And these are, are real examples. So we crossed one together, which is in the notes. Yes, we did. So <laughs> this was a a funny example as well to bring up. So we were actually recruiting for my manager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was for someone for me to report into. And I arrived at work. It was a recruitment that I wasn't particularly involved in because obviously you want a bit of separation in that space. But I got to work and I was told that I was going to run it. And I ran through the interview and I thought I did a pretty good job. But after the candidate left, we went around the room, we asked what everyone thought. And your opinion was immediately, it was a train wreck. That was your exact words. And strong candidate too. It's just that they were too far away. So they came from a, a large corporate. From the ownership model, completely different ownership. From a size model, business then 100, mid-100 people, we're, we're about 150 people. They come, came from thousands of organizations, so literally thousands. They came from a team of 25, 10, 15, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. in the double digit. Yeah, double digit team. And they were coming to a team of two. So they were qualified for that role, but they were not going to fit our environment. And that was a great learning for me at the time because my initial opinions, I think I gave my yeah. response first when we were talking about our feelings after that. And um, I thought it was quite good, actually. Yeah. And it wasn't until we got to you and you explained that, I guess, environmental separation yeah. and uh, distance that he had to a company like ours where I really started to go, well, that's right. You know, he's really well versed in what he knows and he can obviously do his job really well. But in our environment, he I, we don't think he would yeah. have succeeded. That was some of the earlier bigger highs that I mistakes that I've spoken about. They were great people. They just didn't fit into our business. Another example was another person who did admin. They came out of a big government organization, big organization, government-based. So they didn't fit size. They didn't fit ownership model. Mm. So that was just too far away. And then their role was the same and they're in a different industry as well. There was no overlap, but the role was the same. It was an admin processing role. So completely qualified and they just found it too hard because in a big government organization, it's quite slow where I would come in and say, oh, can you do this? The phone would answer and you'd have to stop doing payroll to do the phone. Lovely person, but got overwhelmed really quickly, yet Another person who is used to working in a small business where the owner will come in, can you do that? They have to man the phones, have to do reception, have to do payroll. They couldn't understand why it was so difficult to her. And I couldn't understand either. It was only on reflection after saying, why didn't that 
that person was a great person. Why didn't that work? Why didn't that person? Mm. And then they were just not used to swimming in the water that we were in. Do you have any hard and fast rules and whether, you know, a person hits, you know, X amount of the three, so of business size, ownership, industry, like if they meet two of those, but they don't the third, is there anything that you live by in that? I'll, I'll try and summarize with an analogy. I think it's just your risk. Okay. The further away you are from that center is your risk. So let's talk about Hopefully this resonates with everybody. Just say we're moving, okay? You, you live in Brisbane. You've been in Brisbane for quite a while. Yeah. If you move to another suburb, you're pretty confident you're going to enjoy your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're moving pretty close. You're staying within that bend. Yeah. If you move to another state, using the same example, probably not too far away. Yeah. So you're adjacent. So you move to another country that speaks English. And then final example, you move to a country that doesn't speak English. So the further away you move to this environment that you're familiar with, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And that's the thing. The further away they are from that concentric circle, if they come from a different industry, if it's got a different ownership structure, um, if it's a different size, they're too far away from the center. And that was the HR manager example. They were just too far away from our center. Great candidate, but too far away. Yeah. It ties into a bit of theory that I haven't written down and we didn't discuss prior. So I'm going to catch you off guard with this, but there's a concept called cultural distance. And it's about how much you can relate to someone else's culture. I think that's kind of exactly what we're talking about. But from an employment perspective is environmental distance. So how far away is the candidate from matching your environment? And that's what you need to consider. I haven't heard that term, but I think that's a good summary. And I've I've written a note. I'm going to look that up. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. We'll punch through this one because it's pretty easy. It's just writing advertising. You're going to recruit, you've got to write advertising. And sometimes you're recruiting for a role that you don't know about. So straight up, it's not school. I just plagiarize. That's, <laughs> that's when get on whatever service you want, whether it's Seek, LinkedIn, Indeed, whatever. Have a look who's recruiting for the same role and just copy, copy, copy to refine exactly what you want. I just don't necessarily agree. I mean, you think this is the easy part. I would say this is one of the hardest parts. Getting your advertising to a point in which it actually captures the interests of applicants is really tough. And it's funny. How do you know what you like is what other people will like? Is that an assumption that you make? No, I, I think that's a, that's a good point. And I agree with what you're saying. I'm saying rather than write the copy yourself, which is write all the advertising, because you, you're right, you're selling your business, you're selling the position. So you, you're using sales copy, you're using advertisement from somebody else. So you're like, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just, it's easier than writing it yourself with a blank sheet. Yeah. So grab the bits of the job interviews or the, the, the seek advertisements and go, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, that explains our business. Yeah. And if you've got your values and your purpose worked out and your BHAG, they should all form part of that because you, you're recruiting on those things. Yeah. Okay. Are you changing your ads every time you put them up? Or do you think you can template killer ads and then just have it with interchangeable kind of sections that can be adjusted for each specific recruitment? I think it's both. For example, hired for an executive assistant, which we'd never hired before. This is going back some time. And it's like, what's the difference between an executive assistant and a personal assistant? And what, you know, we wanted someone to actively work on problems, not book flights and meals and other bits and pieces. So, so we wanted someone who could, we could delegate stuff to. She was a shared resource between both the directors. So I was like, I'd never hired one before. So again, going on seek, what, what's the difference? What is, what's the language? I wanted to attract the right person. So that was original, but 
the branding and how we sold ourselves as a business was templated from previous things. Yeah. The only other thing I'd add to this, and this is just from personal learnings, and I hope it aligns with your vision because this is very much your vision or your information you've compiled from various yeah, sources. Yeah, we're just yeah. running through my steps and yeah. you're, you're just, yeah, because your field of expertise, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I'm, yet I'm to be seen. Up. I'm <laughs> talking up, but yeah. It's a nice change of pace. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, the one thing that I would tell the audience and anyone that's kind of listening to this, and it very much mirrors our own values on this podcast, is iterate. And it's pay attention to what works. And to actually identify that, a lot of job boards nowadays give you analytics that tell you what is the click-through rate on your ads, how many people read your ads but don't apply. And if they're doing that, that's a good indication it's too long. It's too long. It's not catchy enough. It, there's something going wrong. So pay attention to the data as well. Conciseness. <laughs> <laughs> Something I'm well known for being good at. <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, let's move on to the, the next thing, the pre-screen. So you get a, oh, well, it's pretty tight labor market, as you know, but again, you can get a role with a lot of candidates. How do you get from the good candidates without going through 100 resumes? And this is a great point in that it ties into what we've talked about in the past in episode two, knowing your customer and understanding where applicants are coming from, how they're applying to your roles, how they're seeing it. And you need to be able to understand that to create an application process that actually matches them. I want you to talk more about what you found, and then I'll tell you about an example I've had with my business. I'll jump straight to the why, I suppose, for me, because I've sat in the interview, you've done all the work, you've screened everything, and you've got down to, just say you're interviewing three candidates for this example. I sat in the interview and you, you've said, what's your salary expectations? And you're miles apart. The role requires you to work weekends. I'm not available weekends. The role requires you to travel. I don't want to travel. So all of these non-negotiables around the roles, you can find out really, really quickly. Because if you've got the best candidate that needs to travel for the role and they're not willing to travel, it's an out. So you start to build up all the things that are important. I've had a person apply for an $80,000 role, junior to middle management type role. And in the pre-screen, I asked them what their salary expectation, and it was 300000 US. You know, so I didn't even look at their resume. Pretty reasonable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So I didn't even read their resume. I don't read resumes before the pre-screen because for that example, and coming back, if they need to travel and they're unavailable to travel, don't look at the resume. If they need to work weekends and they can't work weekends, don't look at their resume. So it's getting speed and filtering the candidates. Yeah. So this is exactly what was missing from my company when it first started. I was far too open to just working with anyone because I thought just having the numbers would be a good thing. Having more people on the books, more people I could try and put into work, the better my business is for it and the better they are for it and the better the clients that I work with from a business perspective are for it. But what I didn't realize was that because I wasn't effectively pre-screening and coming up with these non-negotiables, I was wasting everybody's time. I was wasting my time, I was wasting the candidate's time, and I was wasting businesses I was speaking to's time. So it definitely wastes a business's time, you know, if you're not coming up with an effective pre-screen, but it wastes the candidate's time too. I think that's a good point because if you think of your business and your branding is everywhere, like the touch points to the community. So when you're recruiting, you're, you're in the community. And if you get to the interview process and then you say, discuss non-negotiables or and they're like, oh, we can't travel. It leaves, they put a lot of effort into that, talking from the candidate's perspective, mm -hmm. not only your own effort. So if someone early on in the role goes, I'm not available to travel and it's a core requirement of the role, simply send them an email back. 
listen, the role requires you to travel. Thanks for applying, but we can't consider you any further. End of story. Great experience for them. And you can move quickly. And that's about, especially in tight labor market, getting to the best people that fit that role. Perfect. Yep. Absolutely agree. The only other thing that I thought of is that in the past, you've mentioned a traffic light system to me. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, that, that's, that's, thanks, Connell. <laughs> but that, that's, that's probably what I've explained in the sense that you've got a non-negotiable of the role. So we, we haven't got too granular on this step and we're talking pretty generally, but define your non-negotiables. Let's, and I'll keep on the travel example. If they can't travel, red light. Red light's out. If they go, they're open to some travel, yellow light, you, you progress them. Yeah, travel is not a problem, green light. So you start to build up these sort of indicators of, of, of the candidate as you pass them through the, the yeah. process. And is it a different step for green lights and yellow lights? Like for yellow lights, would you probe more about the, I guess, non-negotiable criteria that they're kind of not meeting in more detail? I think it's just where you, when you start to screen candidates further. Okay. If, you've, if you've got 10 green lights, for example, you, you want to get to a good candidate. But think of a, uh, an example. You've got 20 candidates that fit the non-negotiables. They fit the skill requirements. They fit the salary range. You know, they're available to travel. Well, you don't progress the yellows. Yes. Okay. You maybe have yeah. a look at them if there's an exceptional, but it, it's about filtering and putting them into different buckets. Yep. Okay. Next step, psychometric testing. Well, let's just define psychometric testing first, and, and then I'll talk about why I've found it's a really important thing. Hugh's written a definition, but I'm going off the cuff. Okay, you go next. <laughs> so, psychometric testing is just simply any sort of assessment that can be given to a candidate in an application process that assesses their aptitude. And that can be from personality traits to uh, attention to detail ability and a multitude of things in between. Yeah. Well, well put. Thank you. And better than my definition. <laughs> so the reason that I wanted psychometric testing was it's consistent. So you've got the same data point. It's data-driven. There's a lot of tests that are true. And then also it's repeatable and it's quite cheap. So it's another methodology of building up consistency in, in your recruitment process. It's a big topic, massive topic. So what we've actually done is we're going to push it into the next show. That's going to be show six. It's going to be all psychometric testing. We'll do some of the tests on ourselves. We'll share it with our audience. We'll see how crazy <laughs> that man actually when is. When you learned he's genuinely a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we wanted to include it in the show. And for me, it's giving some data-driven points to a process that is, is not necessarily always data-driven. And that's probably underlining some of the things that I've spoken about today. Yeah. And I, I hope I'm not jumping forward too much in saying this, but I think the crux of it is taking the emotion out of it, you know, taking your gut feeling because too many HR professionals or recruiters just rely on gut feelings. Yeah. What's your gut tell you? And this is a way to actually assess whether, you know, what you're feeling is correct or wrong. But what I want to ask you before we do move on is when you perform psychometric testing, how do you treat the results? If someone performs poorly on it, is that an outright deal breaker? Or is it more of a guide as to how to interview them down the track? I'm going to put a pin in it and we'll talk about it Ooh, next week. Okay. Okay, righto. Next step. Reference checks, interview systems, getting into the detail, considered the most important part of the, of the process. Generally, you do well in the interview. You get the job, do the reference checks. You read any literature. It's the most important part, but it's a tick the box. Mm -hmm. So I was going to take a risk, be fearless. <laughs> and tell a random story and hopefully it makes sense. Gil hasn't heard this story, so, so I'll be interested. And 
if Connell can just just hold, I'll try and make it quick. I want to tell a story of how I met my wife, and it's actually hopefully it's relevant. So. I won a contest, a radio contest, right? And I got a prize. It was a nine-day cruise ship. And because uh, it was a radio prize, it was in the cheap rooms, okay? So as you could imagine, and it, it's a little bit of a scandal, but so my wife was in first class, okay? And a little little bit of a scandal. Connell's trying not to laugh. And not, nothing happened, nothing in, inappropriate, but we, we spent the next seven days and, and again, taking a risk, you know, fell in love. So she broke up. And as they say, the, the rest is history. And, and I see you laughing. You, you want to say something, Connell? <laughs> well, you, for one second, I thought you were falling into the plot of Titanic. <laughs> but I can say with the utmost certainty, and I know in episode one, in one of the outtakes, I did mention I don't know your wife that well. But one thing I do know is that that's absolutely not how you met. <laughs> you, you picked it in one. I just described the plot of the Titanic. <laughs> did you really? Yes. And this is my point, is that, sorry, honey. Yeah. yeah. And my, my, my wife's got much more morals than that, you know, to, to see somebody. But th- this is the thing. When you interview somebody, did they actually do it or did they just watch somebody else do it or did they just see the training video? Yeah. And that's my experience around, you know, people can recount these stories in the first person and they're simply not true. They don't have that. And so that, that's what we're going to talk about, getting the interview process, getting it down. And that's a great point because the only reason I could call you out on that is because I knew beforehand that that's not how you met. And just to that point, are you going to tell us how you and your wife actually met or is that a mystery left? I, it wasn't that exciting. Be fearless, you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, I, I just think where you might go with that. <laughs> but no, I was really busy. So, so I actually met my wife on eHarmony. That was the story there. I, I was getting to... Um, I can't remember how old, 30 maybe. Anyway, and I was like, I better settle down and think about getting married. Granddad at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus. Yeah. <laughs> no, great example. Great example of how you can't take everything that someone says to you in an interview at face value. And this is something that came up during our employment. So we'll talk about a story a bit later on as to how you taught me how to, I guess, get into it. But what do you recommend then? Because you can't be adversarial. You don't want to just sit there and go, did you? Did you really? (laughs) Well, well, I I think the time later on is now. So so (laughs) let's tell the story when you hired a drug dealer, allegedly, (laughs) as a a truck driver. (laughs) Never proven. And and I said allegedly. I I take issue with this because- (laughs) (laughs) It's the learning. It's the learning. We're talking about mistakes. We're being being fearless. We're being vulnerable. So So, let's talk about the- it's not, yeah, it <laughs> was a disaster. Points. Never right. proven to be a drug dealer. And secondly, I didn't hire my, myself, but- Allegedly. But, what but was the learning? I interviewed him. Okay. So, I interviewed an MC truck driver for a position that we had at the company. Just to explain that. So, that's a big B-double, big truck. Yep. yep. So, MC stands for multi-combination, which means it has multiple trailers on the back. Be um, concise. Well, people might not know what a B-double is. <laughs> Fair play. Yep. <laughs> so, we were looking for a truck driver. To come in and it's a really important role. It's a really important role. So similar to what you were talking about before, if the machine's not running, you're losing sales, you're losing profit, you're losing money. If a truck's not running or it's running wrong, you're not delivering, customers are getting pissed off, you lose relationships and you lose cash. It's a really important role. And we had put someone through the process. So we got an application from them, we pre-screened them, we interviewed them, we reference checked them, 
and it looked really good. We felt really good about the truck driver. And on his first day, he lost us $60,000 worth of revenue, I think. And he jeopardized a contract with a new client that we had taken on. I think setting up the story was good because people get it. And uh, Badz's box is coming up later in the show. And and Ryan shares some of his insights of how important, you know, big mess ups and how costly it is to hire wrong. And that's hopefully what we're communicating today. So getting back to getting back to this segment of interviewing better, what was the learning for you? Because we did a bit of a role play. Yes. And not in a Batman weird (laughs) way. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, I was frustrated because, you know, obviously a lot of, I got a lot of heat and I was frustrated because I was like, well, I've never recruited for a truck driver before. How am I meant to know what's important, what's not important? How can I talk to someone about something that I just don't understand? Let's try and paraphrase that out because it's been- that was years ago, actually. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah years yeah, ago. Yeah. So, so when when you came to me and said, "How could I do better?" I said, "Well, you need to get into the detail." Yeah. And how do you do that? So, if you're interviewing for a truck driver, what are some of the questions you ask? It's like, "What trucks have you driven?" And if they don't know the model number, ask for the model number. What routes did you drive? And the same sort of thing. So, and I think the example that we used was um, asked going to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> so something that you know about. So, Connor, where do you go to the gym? I go to an MMA gym. An MMA gym? MMA. Okay. Where, whereabouts? It's in Lutwich. It's in Lutwich. How long does it take you to get there? 15-minute walk. 15-minute walk. Okay. Do you take a bag or do you- I do. I do take a bag. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's the bag? It's a Nike bag and in it, because I know you're going to ask what's in yeah. it, my gym towel, my water bottle, okay. gloves if I need them. Yeah. Which days do you go? I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. Do you do any classes? Not at the moment. I did, yeah. not at the moment. So coming back to the truck driver story, you, you asked them, what truck did they drive? What was the color? What route did you drive? Where did you stop for lunch? Mm-hmm. How did you get fuel? Did you use a fuel card? It seems insignificant, but if they've got to stumble over these answers, and I've done it so many times with people, it's like, what did you drive? Oh, and it comes back that they actually did a little bit for their uncle one day. Do you know? How long did that? So you've got to get into the detail. And going back to my Titanic story, to do that is like, well, what color was the boat? Yep. What was your room number? How small was it? Yep. Did it have bunk beds? And as soon as you start asking these questions, you can tell, and, and as you said, it's not confrontational. You're just getting into the detail. Mm. And the biggest learning that I, when I learned that myself, I interviewed this person and it, it actually got a little bit heated and I, I hired them. <laughs> I hired. Was that a mistake? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because they never answered the questions. Yes. I was like, how do you discipline people? And then they're like, oh, well, you roll up your sleeves and you rip off the band-aid. They never answered the questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and I'd say like, well, tell me about a time that you did it. And it's like, well, and they diverted the question quite aptly. I think that's breaching their confidentiality. And we went backwards and forth for an hour and they answered everything really well, like a politician without actually answering anything. Mm. And when they got into the role, they were hopeless because yeah. they'd never done it. You know, as I said, they'd watched the movie. They'd seen somebody else do it. They had the training videos, but they actually didn't have these skills. So dig into the details. Yeah. And from a HR perspective and from uh, my own personal learnings in relation to these situations, there's a few points that I just want to throw out there is, is one, don't let analogies 
don't let them mean anything. If someone tells a story or, you know, they make it, they use a metaphor or something, it's, it's meaningless. It's, if it's just buzzwords, it doesn't actually mean anything. And that ties into the second point is don't make it work. If you like the person personally, it doesn't mean that they're going to be a good employee. So do not change what they're saying to fit the narrative you're trying to kind of, you know, do. And then the third, and this is for anyone that has to hire, it's a really vulnerable thing to say, I don't know. And what I learned after we did the the role play with the truck driver wasn't, I should know what a truck driver does. It's embrace that you don't know and find out. And examples that I went on to give my assistance later was, you know, and I used something I wasn't aware of. So I don't cook. I'm a shite cook. But one of my assistants was a great cook. And I got her to explain her process of making a cake. I've never made a cake in my life. But after that, I could tell you exactly what to use, how many ingredients, how long you have to bake it, blah, 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 blah. And it's because I was comfortable not knowing and being willing to ask the questions. But if you... If you're too scared to be vulnerable and think that someone else knows more than you, you're never going to find out the detail. You're never going to, you're just going to take everything they say at face value because you're too scared to say, is that right? It's a good point just to close this segment off. If you are a long way outside your comfort zone, you need to call in an expert to know the questions to ask. The second part of this is the reference checking. So reference checking, as I said, they, they end up to be a bit of a tick, tick and flick exercise and I found not a lot of value. So, you know, work the problem and have got a few pointers. This is one, uh, because I'm going to let you talk, but I think you and I are very different on this. Okay. Uh, From the get-go, just from seeing what you've written. So, what what are your tips for- Okay. So, there's two points. The first thing is, is you've spent a lot of time figuring out how good the candidate is. So, I I think using the reference checks to, to find areas for development or potential weaknesses- and it works two ways. It's not to undermine the candidate. It's just also if they do come on, you, you've got a path for development or you're identified where their weakness is. And the second part is the enthusiasm for the candidate that the person is referring to, which is applying some of the, the net promoter score methodology, which we can explain a little bit later. But is there a part there that you want to dive into first, Connell? What's your recommendation on how many, who to get them okay. from? This okay, is- <laughs> okay, okay, that point I didn't. So again, it comes from the book Top Grading um, and it's called Fear of Reference Checking and they suggest getting more reference checking. I never check them all, but it's the fear of the reference checking. And I don't think I made that quite clear. So you should be asking for a range. So you should be asking for peers, you should be asking for supervisors and you should be asking for subordinates if if it's relevant for the role. And you should be asking for up to nine. And majority of people can't give you nine, but it's the fear of, of reference checking and them saying, I'm giving you Connell as a reference, but we didn't have a very good relationship. So you really put the pressure back onto them. And it's difficult for different candidates. You know, somebody who's a graduate, they're not going to have nine. Somebody who's got 25 years of experience, if they worked in one role, potentially they mightn't have that many, but they're the exceptions. This is interesting because this actually was never really explained. So uh, first thing, so why do you actually ask for nine? I just think that's a, a challenging number. Okay. It actually puts people uncomfortable. It, yeah. And you're trying to discover. Yeah. And, and you, you're putting all of these factors together to come up with the final point, which we'll talk about is the, is the candidate score. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes up and they go, here's nine references, here's their phone numbers, I've rung them all to say that you'll be calling, 
it's part of the whole picture versus the person goes, which has happened to me. It's like they were uh, this person, I suppose, 10 years in the workforce. They couldn't give me one, mm-hmm. like zero. Okay. So okay. that's the two ends of the extreme, which I've had both. Yeah. I've had someone, you know, hand over exactly that and someone's had no. It's mm-hmm. in the breadth of that you start to get results. The person that goes, I've only got two, the person that goes eight, you know, so it's about the process as much as it is about the results of going to check all nine. Because if someone gives me nine, I'm not going to check nine, you know. Uh, <laughs> I gave <the> you nine. <laughs> but but I, I, yeah, I'm not sure who would have checked them, but, but it's the fear of reference checking. But I don't know, how did you feel when that was asked of you? I thought this is interesting because this has actually challenged my thinking on it. I thought it was too many. Because um, I, I, my gut was that it's counterintuitive. If I can provide nine references, then it means I've been in a bunch of roles and, you know, I'm not stationary, if that makes sense. You know, I'm not a long-standing employee. Like I've been through employees churning, churning, churning. But it's what you said that I guess really ties it together is that it's where you're getting those nine from, from peers, from subordinates, from, you know, managers as well. So it's about diversifying the number and the sources. The final thing around reference check is around the net promoter score, which is not relevant to reference checks, but basically the net promoter score says it's a score between one and 10. If, you, if someone, and it's usually used for feedback, it can be used for employee feedback, but if you score nine and 10, someone's likely to promote your business. If you score, I think I haven't got the notes in front of me, uh, seven or eight, they're neutral. And mm-hmm. if you score less than six, they're a detractor. They're yes. not. So someone who gives your product a five out of 10, they're not going to promote. They're like, oh yeah, it's Yep. So I was thinking about that and then people will give reference checks and they'll go, oh yeah, they were good. And then I followed up later and was like, oh, what happened? This person, oh, I said, yeah, they were just, they were just sort of good. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, yeah, they were good. No, no, they were good. Mm. You know, same word, different meaning. So now I'm asking for them, okay, oh, good. I'm glad that out of 10, how would you give them? And people are comfortable giving a six or a seven or a you know, a six or a seven, which is an okay score. Yeah, they're six or seven out of 10. Mm. That means they're a detractor. Where So I, I think, so you're looking for the nine and tens and not everybody's going to be a nine and 10 in all areas, but you get a much honest opinion of a person's capability. And if you do a lot of reference checks and you say, okay, what were they like as a communicator? Yeah, they, they were pretty good. You know, uh, they were attentive. Out of 10, what would you give them? Six. So if I give six, you know, mm. in that net promoter score framework, and, and we'll put it in the show notes so people can see it and how it means they're probably just okay. And that's what you're trying to get to. That's probably the single most valuable piece that I've got. Interesting. So how often are you actually getting lower ratings? Because typically what I find is that people cherry pick their references. So when they're giving them to you, they're only ones that are going to give them nines or tens. But do you actually get people giving- Yeah, I disagree completely. I I think people will give six and- Because seven and eight is a neutral score. Yeah. I mean, I actually quite like that point. You know, communication, what do you get it out at 10? Blah, blah, blah. Break it into the, I guess, key selection criteria, broad groups, and then average it. And then that's your kind of net promoter score. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's your net promoter score across all your key. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we we briefly took, but the premise is when someone says, "Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good." Mm. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pretty good, or yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do because you're trying to measure sentiment, and that that's the take home. Okay, okay. Bringing it all together, the candidate score. So that's all of these things, which is an art, and and I'll put it in the show notes. Is putting a metric next to all of these things because you you said before gut feeling yep 
may have heard of the airport test. Have you heard of that? No, never. Oh, someone goes, yeah, I think I could spend time at the airport with them. I could sit next to them in the plane. Oh, okay. okay. What a load oh, okay. Of sh- what a load of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like if, you, if you're hiring somebody because you think they're a good guy that you could sit next to yeah. or a good girl that you could sit next to on the plane, yeah. nuts. Yeah. So you bring it all together, their environment, how far away, you know, what's their work history like, mm-hmm. all of these other things. How did they score on the psychometric testing? How did they go on the interview? So all of these steps you bring together to give a candidate score. And you do that often enough, and then you start to get a quantifiable measure of whether this person proceeds. And do you have standardized weightings for each step? That's experience. I think, and especially with someone like yourself, when we first met, you were coming in just as not much more than a graduate. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to give you a high weighting to work history. But somebody who's experienced, if they've got a patchy work history, I say the opposite to the super ads, like in the super ads, they'll go... Past results aren't an indicator of future results. When, when in, in recruitment, it's the opposite. Past results are a great indicator of, yes. of future results. So if someone's got a patchy work history, they're going to have patchy work history. So yep. that's, that's how you bring it all together. Yeah, okay. So should, should the weightings be case by case, person by person? I think it's really complicated. Yeah. But I'll do a loom, add it in the show notes oh, and good. explain it. Because I think if we talk percentages, it's, it's good to see the whole, yeah. the whole schedule yeah. and the whole thing. So I think that, that will give... So you're moving mm. away from gut feel to mm. a data-driven approach to recruitment. Yeah. And, and that makes it repeatable because yep. anybody that's scored high has fitted like a glove. I personally find it's tough to boil people down to any sort of formula or percentage. I think it's hard because I think you can be surprised. They're sometimes the equation that don't add up because sometimes you think you have a good thing and, you, and you've gone through these steps and you've done everything and it just turns out they were misleading or they're wrong or they're right. Absolutely. So what I actually want to do is put it onto the audience. If anyone in the audience that's listening has something that they think is a surefire, you know, yeah. selection method or, you know, something they do that they stand by in recruitment, let us know. Yeah. I, I would be more than happy to hear it because it's a value of our show. Iterate, test, fail, test, fail, yeah. test, fail. So all, everything we've said, they're strong beliefs loosely held. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that was a good summary. I think we can we can move on to to our next segment, Bads's box. We actually didn't think Bads was going to be able to join us today. Got a message from him saying that he had to relocate a crocodile um, from a primary school, yeah. but he did it in about I don't know sharp time and was able to join the show. Yeah. So so let's see what Ryan thinks about people. I'm just glad that uh, the crocodile didn't get at those beautiful hands. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, let's see. This is Two P One J. It's good of you to be here with us this morning, Ryan, after your uh, alligator escapades. You've got a couple minutes on the clock to talk about people. Two minutes, timer, go. People, arguably one of the most important things that you will do in your business and on the journey is hire your first hire and then subsequent hires. What I'd say about people is it's critical to get it right. Structure, process, uh, make sure that you have a definition of what you're looking for and what you need. Hiring for values, hiring uh, for alignment around your business is critical. I've hired for the wrong reasons. I've hired the wrong people. We've, and it's cost me dearly. It's it's a massive, it's a cluster when you get it wrong, um, and it eats away at your culture and your business, and and it ultimately costs you money. So don't fuck it up. Um, and also one other thing around hiring is do it early, do it before you're ready, and do it before you can afford it. Get into it because you need to look at what the return's going to be, not what it's going to cost. That's all I've got to say about people. 
but it's critical to get it right. And you need to get the right people around you to get that done. Minute. Well done. Record timing. Well, <laughs> a minute was that all? A minute. That's all. Ah. That was actually, another chop. Oh, <laughs> you, you'll get better. You'll get more practice. It's all right. Calm down, big fella. Um, actually, what I really liked about Ryan, which we don't cover in the show, but it, is the hire early, you know, invest in that people early. Mm. So I, I thought that was a really good point. Is there any other take-homes there for you, Connell? How do you hire early if you can't afford it? Looking at the value, not cost, I completely agree with. But if you just genuinely can't afford it, what, what did you actually mean by that? Interesting question, Connell. In terms of higher early, you obviously need to be able to afford it and there is costs that come with with it. But there's going to ultimately when you're starting a business, there's some sacrifices that you're going to have to make to play a longer term game. And so that might include, you know, trimming things up a little bit in, in a certain area for a few months to get it cracking or just having the the ability to to work in, in certain areas or structure the, the way you hire and the way you pay. I think it's it's always hard to find the money for anything, but don't wait too long because the return will be there. It's kind of like the build it and they will come process. If you've got more capacity, you'll find more work and you'll get more done. Yeah, I'll have a crack at answering that question too because Ryan's in the mortgage broking business and to give the example, his expertise is to write business. So if he's spending time, and I'm just making, having a guess, if he's spending time booking meetings, taking phone calls, doing, you know, call them, not lower level, but lower value tasks, then it's it's a catch-22. You know, hire someone, back yourself to write more business, focus on your area of expertise. And that's that's what I took from hire early before you think you can afford it. Okay. I, I like Ryan's point just then in the explanation of look at different ways to do it. So, I, and I think it marries both. You know, if you think you need the uh, someone in full time, but really you just need a casual to come in and take some of that admin burden off of you, then it's a much more cost-effective way of getting more business by freeing up your own time. So, completely agree. And Connell, don't overlook contractors. Yep. Don't overlook a part-time member. We hired someone part-time and then built it out to full-time. Mm. Think outside the square. Good points. Any final thoughts, Ryan? Before we let you go? No, just uh, enjoying the show, boys. Good luck. Good banter. Keep your jokes to a minimum, Hugh. And uh, <laughs> up from that's going well. Let's go, Batman. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I, I came to the show this morning with a checklist. And on the checklist was, I'll put it up here, I'm no, no BS. And for you to see, <laughs> Hugh is not allowed to tell jokes. That is on our official 2P1J checklist. Good stuff, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, boy. You're listening to Two Paths, One Journey. For someone who had just relocated a crocodile, I think I said alligator earlier, but I'll correct myself, crocodile, he had some pretty good thoughts, especially for not knowing what we were talking about beforehand. And I think his experience in his own business really aligned with what we were talking about throughout the show. That's Bads's box for this week. We're going to jump into closing the loop now, where in closing the loop, we look back at some of the points we've left outstanding, update you, the listener, and close out what we can. You, what's on the agenda? Back to show four, OKRs. So we're going to celebrate with a listener, 15th show, which will be a few shows after our 10-show launch, I promised earlier, I'll wear a tuxedo. <laughs> and, and how are we going to celebrate, Connell? Well, we're going to be giving listeners the opportunity to obviously submit their ideas, so we encourage that all the time. So we always want their feedback, we want their ideas. And the best five, they're going to get some merch. We're yep. going to give away shirts and hats. Best five idea, get some merch. Best idea, we've got a special prize for them. This is an interesting one. So Hugh has 
generously agree to either conduct a one-on-one Harrison assessment worth $500, or if that's not up your alley and you don't care about whether you're a psycho or not, you can just take the $500, you psycho. Two points. So listen to next week so you can actually find out about the psychometric testing and, and Harrison assessment, which is my my go-to thing. And Connell and I were talking and he was talking about disingenuous selling and how someone was uh, saying this prize is worth X amount of dollars or something. Yes. Yeah. $100,000 at the low, low price of 5000 Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that, that just shits me too. So I was like, Harrison assessment, I'll do it for you. I reckon it's worth it's about five hundred dollars, and if you don't want it, I'll just give you five hundred bucks. Yeah, that's simple. Can I put some ideas in? Is that good? <laughs> uh, ineligibility criteria. Oh, damn it. <laughs> okay. The OKR, the show notes are up, so they'll be really interesting. Supporting looms, other things. Send us your own objectives, and and happy to give you feedback. Yep. So avid listeners might know if they look at the OKRs in the show notes, they might see that there's a bit of difference to what we talked about when we originally brought it up in the episode. So we've shifted the focus of our OKRs to now hone in on conducting and creating a better show. Yep. How are we doing that? Yeah. Well, part of that is we're going to move to a fortnightly show because part of our values, listener first, and we, we think we're going to give you a better show. No, we will give you a better show if we do it fortnightly. Yeah. So, so that's the, the release dates are going to push out. So when you hear us saying next show or or next week, it's 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 next show. <laughs> yeah. Connell, upcoming shows. Upcoming shows, not upcoming weeks, but upcoming shows. Next up is psychometric testing where you'll find out more about Harrison assessment and others. And then after that we've got business strategy to look forward to and then systems and processes. Okay. All right, you probably one of our longer shows. So I'll throw it to you to quickly wrap it up. Yeah, I hope that hope our customer enjoyed it. Big topic. And I'm struggled to say this, but you know, Ryan summarized it really well. Getting people wrong is costly. We've all made big mistakes and we shared that during the show. Having a process is critical and tried to share, you know, some of the things and, and the process that I've personally used. And people are your everything. I sincerely believe that. And that comes from having to let good people go, not being clear on our values. So you can see how everything's starting to come together. If you're not clear on your values and your on your BHAG and your purpose and why you exist, it's hard to start finding these, these people that are going to take your business forward. And as you said in the show, you can do all of these things and still get it wrong. And that's a great point. And it, it ties in nicely to everything we've talked about in the podcast so far in that our value is to be fearless. And it was fearless of us to talk about some of the mistakes we've made. And that's what we want from our audience too. Let us know what's worked for you. Let us know what hasn't. Tell us about your successes. Tell us about your fails. At the end of the day, we're both pretty flexible people. If we see an idea that we think's better, we'll incorporate it. And you could win a hat. <laughs> <laughs> and also we want to help, you know, we're to inspire and educate. So if you if you need a little bit more detail, we'll build it out in the show notes. Shoot us an email. Where can they find us, mate? We've got all the socials up and running and the website is in a good place. So the website's www.2p1j.com and all of our socials at 2p1j. And info at 2p1j if they want to send us an email.com. Also true. Yes. And next week, as you said. Psychometric testing. Thanks for the show. Let's do it. Thank you. Thanks, Gil. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, listeners. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Two Paths, One Journey. Thank you for tuning in and supporting the show. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you really love today's show, please leave us a five-star review. It helps other people discover the show and grow our community. We also want to hear from you. 
If you have any questions, comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach us at 2p1j.com or send us an email at info at 2p1j.com. We read every message and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening to 2P1J. We'll see you next time.